again, and welcome to the Red Dwarf Intro Cast, where we talk about, uh, sometimes, Red Dwarf, episode by episode. Uh, long-time fans and newbies alike journey together into the far reaches of space on the mining ship Red Dwarf. My name is Heath. I'm Angela. I'm Shane. And I'm Sam. Hi, Hello, Sam. Sam. Hello, Sam. Hello. What have Sam you done with Paul? Sam is our special guest this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid Paul has been deleted. No. It was a dead man's booze contest. Poor Paul. <laughs> no, uh, Paul will will uh, return to us soon. We hope he's having technical times. Mm. Yeah, but alas. Uh, well, this week we are going to be talking about season five, episode two, Inquisitor. Uh, but before we get to that, Sam, if you would like to introduce yourself a bit, tell us who you are, where you're from, sort of your history with Red Dwarf, other places we might find you on the interwebs, etc. Uh, well, I'm Sam Highland. Um, I, st- I first got introduced to Red Dwarf at a very young age. I think it was about five or something like that. And I remember coming downstairs and my mum and dad were watching. I think it was Body Swap. I think that was the first snippet I watched and since then I discovered they've got a VHS with Series 4 on it so Series 4 holds quite a big part of my love for Red Dwarf for me, particularly DNA that's one of my favourite episodes mm. um, I don't really post many places on the internet so I'm on Facebook, I also post as Rotorstorm on TFW2005 and FullMetalHero.com so not many other cool. places <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, where did you say you were from again? Uh, I'm from England, uh, from a small town called Retford, sort of near Nottingham. Awesome. Hmm. It's been fun for Angela and I getting to hear, you know, accents from all over uh, England and, uh, well, Britain and Ireland too. Uh, but, uh, yeah, your accent is particularly cool. You actually sound a lot like, it sounds like Frodo, uh, Elijah Woods was really trying <laughs> to do your accent. Sort of Midlands. <laughs> I am quite spoken. It is, it is a bit... I work in a pub, so I hear very broad stuff. It's like, I'll have a pint, please, kind of thing going on. But... <laughs> does does anyone ever ask for your, you for a cup of tea? Or uh, Quite often. <laughs> we, serve, uh, we serve coffee there as well, so it's mainly large lattes and stuff like that. But it's, we get quite a few teas. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So uh, awesome. I've got to ask. Nottingham? Uh, it... Does it have a sheriff? Um, I think it does. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. I think it's more of a sort of... Uh, well, what's the word? A ceremonial <laughs> post. <laughs> no, works out where Robin Hood actually did live is quite near. It's one of the neighbouring towns. Mm-hmm. So it's not that far away. Awesome. Cool. Well, it is good to have you on, Sam. Thank you. Well, let's get to it then. Uh, Shane, do you want to give us the rundown on the Inquisitor? Indeed. When a droid from the future arrives to judge the lives of the Red Dwarf crew, they know they're in trouble. They have to justify themselves as to having led a worthwhile life or be erased from history. To be replaced by a life that that never had a chance. It's bad news for this drone Crichton who embark on a time-travelling scheme to steal the Inquisitor's gauntlets and save themselves. Cool. Yep. <laughs> so this, I thought, was a really neat concept. Yeah. Sort of an android popping around and determining whether or not you've done anything worth existing. 
Well, there was there were changes to the Inquisitor originally, um, because originally when they recorded the part, he was shouting. Mm. But it, it was decided that someone who's in control doesn't normally shout, so they changed it to the sort of growling, which I think works a lot mm. better. He was pretty creepy. Big snake fang mask, and yeah. Sorry, um. l- last night we were watching, uh, we watched Snow White and the Huntsman for the first time, and all the actors, if they weren't mumbling their lines, they were shouting them very loudly with enunciation. <laughs> <laughs> so that made me based, laugh. Having... It was like going to watch a Shakespeare production then. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mumble shout, the movie. <laughs> um. So, the episode starts out with Lister bettering himself with a bit of fine literature, the Aeonid, in comic book form. Well, before we get there, we had the opening scene. Thomas Albert. Oh, yeah. Indeed. The Inquisitor pops up and deletes a guy. They intended that originally to be a pre-credit sequence Mm. to sort of set up the Inquisitor as his big villain, but they decided to just leave the intro as it was. Hmm. Yeah, I like yep. that they, um, uh, like, he does this big thing, and then he just sort of is like, oh, just reality check, doing my job. Bye. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have to say, though, the first thing that came into my brain, when I saw the replacement of, when I saw the, Thomas. thank you, that's the word I was thinking for, thank you, um, was... Oh, goodness. Now, my brain has just been fried. <laughs> Jesse Ventura. There we are. Oh, yeah. oh. the governor. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. I didn't really uh, either, but yeah, I guess the, the mustache. I can sort of see that. Or, uh, yeah. yeah. Cool. Or, you know, Larry Zonka. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So yeah, we get a, a bit of a preview as to what the Inquisitor is all about. He's he's into the deletion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, his whole modus operandi, I guess we can talk about a little okay. a bit later. I have some questions there, but, um, yeah. so yeah, they're reading the Aeonid, which sounds a lot like the Iliad, strangely enough. Oddly um, enough, but, you know, it's a comic book reinterpretation. <laughs> so, you know, they, they use... The title Aeneid to, uh, yeah, yeah, they made a mistake. <laughs> still, still, fairly, fairly truthful, <laughs> fairly faithful to it. See, they're casting aspersions on like comic book retellings and um, adaptations, and that's like half of the things I teach my literature class. I love modern day retellings or people taking something and putting it in another form it shows that the literature is alive yeah mm. I mean that's that's part of my problem I studied drama at university level and mm-hmm. one of my main problems with studying plays at school was mm. the fact that it was always just sat down just mm. analysing the text instead of yeah. just mm. seeing it perform so you get the proper meaning mm-hmm yeah, especially if you're doing like absurdist things like whenever I teach Beckett I have to show, like, parts of plays that have been filmed, because otherwise you're not going to well, get take it. My, take my uh, local, secondary yeah. school. 
<laughs> yeah, please, yeah, please, please. do. It's, yeah, please. <laughs> yeah, please don't go away. Um, um, back in my day, we, when we were doing English, we were doing Shakespeare. We'd actually sit down. Back in your yeah, day, long, long so. ago. And when I was a lad. <laughs> I am the oldest member of this podcast. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> only by a few months. Well, yes, yeah, that's true. Um, you know, we would actually sit down and just study the text. I, I did a Midsummer Night's Dream, Hamlet, and a few others. Mm-hmm. That was an incredible. But dog. now that now they actually take the kids out to actually watch a performance. Well, yeah. For one thing, you're in England. It's like mm-hmm. a rich, rich theater area. Mm-hmm. Like around here in Mississippi and Alabama, there's some theater. Not very much good theater in driving distance, you know, that's happening a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's the, the university has a, has a good program, but yeah, it's, as far as just community theaters, yeah. Yeah. Stratford-upon-Avon's about 30 miles to the north of where I live. Yeah, there's some theater that happens there, so, right? Uh, would, right. Maybe a little... Yeah. That's the that's the Royal Shakespeare Company. Yes, indeed. Oh, those guys. Well, oh, yeah. yes, I know. You know, I know. Well, you know, Shakespeare over. didn't write anything anyway. It was Lord Byron who went back in time. <laughs> and <laughs> no, no, no. It was, it was, no, it was Francis Bacon. Yes, yes, yes. Francis, Francis Bacon, Bacon. and <laughs> no, it was Christopher Marlowe. He just you know wrote all of his sucky stuff in his own name and then wrote all of uh, the awesome stuff and put Shakespeare on it for some odd reason. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of rumours about Shakespeare. A lot, a lot of rumours. And it's mostly coming from this idea that people think you need this deep education and this um, a high title in order to write good things, in order to be a genius. Mm. I thought it mainly came from the fact that he didn't manage to spell his name twice correctly. Spelling was not <laughs> normalised at the time. Mm, that's that true, but when you're writing your name, you'd think that you'd try and spell it the same way so that people are able to track you, etc. Well, maybe he didn't want to be tracked. Uh? Ooh. <laughs> uh? So, uh, Red Dwarf. Yes. <laughs> I've, got, <laughs> I've got an interesting story about American history, which I won't go into. Okay. Uh, okay, let's see. Um, right. Anyway, the, reading uh, the comic book version of the Aeneid slash Iliad, uh, this was in, I think, 92 or 93, this this episode. It was and, like, in 98, Frank Miller would come out with 300 and sort of revolutionize uh, historical mm-hmm. retellings in comic book form. They filmed it so, in November, actually. November 91. Oh, oh the, November on 91. Cool. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's sort of uh, almost predicting. I don't know if there were many um, graphic novel history type things of that type in 91 or or at least they hadn't been popularized yet was alan moore was already writing like serious graphic novels at the time wasn't he yeah i mean there were graphic novels but just the idea of taking great works of literature history and making awesome comic books out of them when did league of extraordinary gentlemen come out 
Ooh, good question. I'm going to look that I'm up while that. you talk. <laughs> yeah, so the yeah, Uncle Google. Hello there. How are you? <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah. Um, no, not the movie. Let's see then. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> right, and so then uh, we, they get a bit of an interruption in their discussion of the Trojans. Uh, when the Inquisitor decides that they're all going to go to Red Dwarf and be judgeified. I don't know why he can't judge them on the Starbug. Is there just not enough room for him to pose dramatically or what? But, <laughs> I don't know, it's, uh, re- it's really strange that because yeah. he said, you'll return to your mother vessel mm. and then he teleports them somewhere obviously in subspace that's not mm. part of Red Dwarf. Right? Yeah. So he can sit on his awesome Lord Zed throne. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it, I suppose if you'd done it on Starbuck though, there wouldn't be a plot because they wouldn't have been able to run anywhere. Yeah, but why start in <laughs> oh, Starbuck? <laughs> <laughs> you will go to your ship where we can have action scenes, and there you will be judged. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mm. So, oh yeah, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was ninety nine. So yeah, yeah. So. I think Watchmen was out around that time though. Watchmen first got published in the late eighties. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing was out there, but not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like comic books were starting to be taken seriously, but not really. You know, it was yeah. still sort of subculture taking seriously. Yeah. I just mean as a matter of subject matter, taking yeah. Greek wars and making pulp, pulp uh, novels out of them. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, Okay, so, um, yeah, uh, Crichton tells them the story of the Inquisitor and what he does and popping up, and he's all like, yeah, you suck, you don't exist anymore. And And again, really convenient that he has this information to rattle off just in time for (laughs) everyone to hear. (laughs) See, he can justify himself, but he provides exposition. (laughs) Who else would provide exposition? (laughs) If I did not exist, the show would be very confusing. Uh, Holly might have to be on screen. Holly might have some more lines. (laughs) (laughs) And we can't have that. (laughs) Can't even have her judged. Uh, Certainly not. Holly had some lines this episode. Mm -hmm. Two. One one scene as usual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Two lines. No, she 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 had a few actually because she was in the first scene, and then she briefly appeared again Mm -hmm. later on, didn't she? Oh yeah. Who who are these people? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep, Yep. Yep. And then so, conveniently went away. Yes, as she does. Poor Holly. Um, I really, really liked, uh, once they get on the Red Dwarf and they start their trials, I like the idea that they're judged by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it's seemed... Oh, before we get to that, though. When Crichton described the Inquisitor as a droid, a self-repairing simulant, um, that had gone crazy after a few million years, determined there was no afterlife, mm-hmm. then started time-traveling and doing this thing, I started to think that maybe it would turn out that Crichton himself was the Inquisitor. Mm. But that apparently did not end up the case. Or yeah, if it did, we you know there's no information about it. Would have been really well, cool. Well, then again, no, no, it couldn't have been the case now because... The Inquisitor erased himself from existence, and Crichton was still hanging around. Yeah. So. But yeah, I thought that would be a nice little time travel conundrum, but that's... I was off I've got there. a few things to say about that, which, we'll get, which I'll say when we get there. 
I've got a few as well. Okay, okay that's good. <laughs> um, but all of the but... arguments that they were making about how to justify your existence mm-hmm. was just classic theology. Mm-hmm. Like, all of it. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you live a moral life? Who determines who lives a moral life? And everyone just, you know, going around in circles as, you know, theologians always have. Mm-hmm. How many Crichtons could dance on the head of a pen? Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do not know, sir. It's very pointy. Um, well, the Inquisitor obviously didn't do a very good job of it, of it did he? Because uh, the alternative list is still ended up in deep space mm. and <laughs> creating the cat race. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to talk about, his modus operandi. Like, okay, if his point is he's going to replace worthless mm. you with another you who might not be as worthless... Well then, yeah, this Lister apparently made these same bad decisions that left him to be the only survivor on the Red Dwarf. So apparent, and Cat was still around. So apparently, still kidnapped the cat, still had his dreams of his underwater farm in Fiji or whatever it was. <laughs> um, yeah, is it's sort of the nature versus versus nurture thing, and maybe sometimes people will end up with a significant difference in their makeup that makes their lives different or more valuable in some way, but apparently in many cases, no. Uh, you end up with yeah. just the same mm. thing with a slightly different face. It See, could have been that he was just able to justify his actions, though, so maybe that's why. Maybe. And yeah, the standards are weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's similar to justice in that if your own conscience condemns you, then you're guilty. Mm-hmm. So a, a sociopath or a psychopath might be able to escape that judgment. Well, just like Cat, As we saw with he Kat. is shallow and vain. <laughs> yeah, he he's shallow and vain and worthless, but by his own standards, that's cool. So, well done, Cat. <laughs> <laughs> Danny John Jules... So inqui- well, Danny John Jules had quite a bad abscess during this episode. So they, tried, they only shot him from one side so you couldn't see it. Apparently, at mm. points, he was lying down on the audience chairs just because the pain was that much. Mm. Oh, my. Stand up guy, though. Yeah. Just keep working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, cat's got to do what a cat's got to do. <laughs> exactly. And thankfully, he wasn't in the episode very much. Yeah. But- yeah, or at least didn't have, you know as many lines as he does in others. Mm-hmm. But yet, the trials themselves were, I think, they were the highlight of the episode for me. Um, Rimmer sort of doing his usual thing of, well, yeah, but it's not my fault because look at this and look mm-hmm. at this. But apparently it worked by the Inquisitor's standards. You know, he at least admitted that he hadn't made anything of himself, but tried to justify why. Mm-hmm. And then my favorite was Crichton's. The whole break programming thing. Yes. The whole, yeah, can a being without free will be considered worth anything? Can any of their actions be judged by any merit beyond their programming? Mm-hmm. Could, Crichton, uh, was, could Crichton have done that on purpose, though? He might have literally realised that perhaps Lister or another crew member might be in serious trouble here. So he sacrificed himself so that in all, so that he can at least be there to comfort them and explain things. Possibly. I hadn't considered. But then, like, all of his responses were true. 
Mm. Like that. Yeah, I mean, it seems seems very much in character for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, and yet again, another area where uh, Futurama, a few decades later, <laughs> will borrow um, the trial of, of Bender when uh, they just, when Bender finally gets thrown in court, and then the defense is, well, yeah, he's a robot, so he couldn't have decided to do this because it's his programming, so he can't be guilty. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like the exact same thing that Crichton was talking about. Hmm. I think I think that the Futurama writers are big Red Dwarf fans. <laughs> Quite possibly, we know that Mac Radin watches a lot of British comedy anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, let's see. Where do we go from there? Oh, yeah, and then the trial of Lister, where he tells himself that he's disappointed in himself for being himself. <laughs> <laughs> And Lister seems absolutely nonplussed and nonchalant. Yeah, he doesn't care, does he, at all? (laughs) Tries to get a reaction. Go away. (laughs) That reminded me of the hollow ship guy trying to judge him and Lister turning it right around Mm. on him. Just before he eats the cigarette. Mm. Yes. Ugh. Has anybody ever tried eating a cigarette? No. 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 <laughs> I have never smoked one nor eaten one. I remember, I remember back in the days when we used to have those candy ones. But anyway. Oh, yeah. Loved candy cigarettes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's an idea, guys. Let's give children pure sugar to eat. And also, we're going to encourage them to smoke with it. It's going to be a great idea. I see no downside to this. <laughs> you know but I cool only ate them cigarettes. because it made me look cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. So, we see the outcome, which is that uh, Rimmer and Cat, by their own standards, are of worth, mm-hmm. and that Crichton and Lister, by their own standards, have failed to be what they could have become. Um, and they get deleted from history. Mm-hmm. And then the doctor shows up, and he's like, "Aha! <laughs> you're a fixed point in time." No. <laughs> <laughs> Although, if there were to be a crossover episode, this would have been prime mm-hmm. territory. Yeah. Well, Doctor <laughs> Who was off the air at this point, wasn't it? So mm. it could have been possible. I know. Uh, what was it? I know the the seventh Doctor. When when did he his nineteen eighty nine? Aww, a couple of years mm. afterwards. Sylvester. So well, see, he was he wasn't busy. He could have popped up. Sylvester <laughs> so McCoy was my Doctor. Yeah, we we got to see him at Dragon Con. He was he was a delight. It was one of the best things we went to. It was him and. Um, what's her name? The woman from Rocky Horror, who the lady who played Magenta in Patricia Rocky Quinn. Horror, whose name is this? Right. Patricia there Quinn. Patricia Quinn. Yes. Yeah, they were doing watching Dragon's Fire. Yeah, they were doing a live commentary and pretty much just riffing on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was fabulous. 
And he was the only, like, the whole planet was covered in ice. He was the only one that was pretending to slip and have trouble walking. And Patricia Quinn was like, look at you, you're drunk. And he's like, no, I was acting. (laughs) And then there were times when, you know, she pointed out that there were times in the episode where she wasn't really emoting. She was just standing there. And (laughs) at one point she was just standing there. And Sylvester McCoy said, emoting, emoting. And she's like, oh, shut up. (laughs) It was lovely. (laughs) He was also interesting in The Hobbit, although sort of disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Red Dwarf. (laughs) What? We're talking about Red Dwarf? What is this Red Dwarf we keep referring to? I don't know. (laughs) Back to okay. Red Dwarf. We get a bit of a time conundrum there when Crichton shows up to save Crichton and Lister from being destroyed uh, by uh, jumping behind the Inquisitor and cutting off his hand with a chainsaw. Yep. A laser chainsaw. A laser chainsaw. A laser saw. <laughs> like you do. Well, the, the and... thing that you need to do to be a badass is have a chainsaw. Mm. In some way. Well, yeah. That's what the Bruce Campbell 101? Yes. Yes. Uh, But they're already erased from time, but not destroyed, so they're limbo people, and they get to meet uh, Rimmer and Cat, who don't know them, and there's another Lister, and... Before we get there, sorry to interrupt the heat, but it has... I wish you would interrupt me. Well, more. thank you. <laughs> um, but we've got to talk about, and Sam knows what I mean, um, yeah. the greatest smeg up in the history of Red Dwarf. I've got it written oh, down. If you've got it written down, now? please take it. Actually, sir, we don't ever have existed here anymore, but this is hardly the time to be conjugating temporal verbs in the past impossible never tense. <laughs> well done, sir. Yeah. <laughs> It's a hell of a line. I just, you just know that Rob Grant and Doug Naylor wrote that just to piss <laughs> Definitely. <Robert> off. <laughs> <laughs> he had idiot balls in front of him and couldn't remember it. Aww. Yeah. Aww. So is this a line that they had to cut because he couldn't say it, or, or did it get in there? They eventually managed to film it, mm. and it looked all right, but they cut it in the end. Aww. Aww. Yeah, I was trying to remember because I usually pick up on when they're talking about language and like verb tenses and stuff. But mm-hmm. it takes up I don't know about a minute, minute and a half of an, f- on on the smeg ups. Aww. Well, I will be po- obviously be posting it as soon as we finish the season. Just this one. Oh, I'm looking forward. Yeah. To that. <laughs> yeah, you know people who do sci-fi, like they just. The, the techno babble alone is <laughs> so hard on them. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that actually, um, jumping forward a, a tad little bit, actually, when they um, go back t- in time to save themselves, quoting their sister to remind him what he said the first time, um. and this recites the words, and quoting interrupts me with there, that's it, that's it, don't tell me. I've got don't it. Tell I've me, got don't it. Tell me. I've got it. Don't tell me. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what Robert the Wellen is tr- did when he was trying to get his lunch right. <laughs> Aww. Nice. Uh, nice and meta. So, um, 
we get sort of a time paradox going on here. Um, Crichton shows up from the future with a hand. How did he get the hand? He gave it to himself. It's a loop. It's it's yep. it's a loop with no entry point. But you know, it's time travel. It's what yep. we do. It's sci-fi. It's like Kirk's glasses that he sold in the mm. movie. Or the watch in Somewhere in Time. Yes. Uh, somewhere in Time. You got to feel, you've got to feel sorry for the cast, though, haven't you? Re- getting the script and reading it. Oh, yeah. And probably having, <laughs> like, just a few hours to learn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the alternative Crichton was originally going to be Robert Llewellyn again, but they decided to actually ease upon him a little bit. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> I forget, was... Uh, was oh, Alt Crichton was his name Crichton, or did he have a different name? Or did they don't get think around? It was actually said. Okay. No. His name. Was, his name was Redshirt. <laughs> did he? Did he? I don't think he even said a line. Did he? He did. He, did. he, yeah. he, he like had I did. Yeah, like one sentence. Okay, one line. Okay, one line. Delicately put, or something like that. Yeah. Delicately put, sir. Yeah. After sperms in law. Yeah. Well, he's not. Yeah. Well, he's not. Credited in, in the cast, in, on my cast list, I've got in front Aww. of me. Oh, you know, it would have been really cool if they would have gotten, um, oh, my. Yeah. I'm sorry, my brain is, is blanking. Second the season guy. Oh, David Ross. Yes. Yes. If, if it would have been David Ross Crichton. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> I don't think he would have wanted to go under the rubber again, though. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, so, the Inquisitor blows everything up <laughs> he, he kills the versions of you know did he really care if this Crichton and this new Lister got a chance to exist because he certainly had no problem blowing them to pieces when they were slightly in the way I'm sure he would have um, picked up somebody a, another s- sperm because <laughs> you know there were a lot of them so. <laughs> When the Inquisitor caught up with them, wouldn't he have to delete them from time again? Mm. But I know... uh, I know that we are so hard on this show about continuity, but Mm -hmm. just step back to Marvel at the continuity of um, Lister's proving to Rimmer that he knows him. (laughs) I'm not going to take that quote because it's a spectacular Mm. quote. I liked that quite a bit. (laughs) I've got a, I've got a question about continuity actually. Okay, go on. Okay, um, now the Inquisitor's killed, basically killed himself. Yes. Okay, so he has undone all the work he has done previously. Mm-hmm. Yes. So all the people he has, so Inquisitor has killed in yes. the past, Tom, have now, yeah, exactly, have now come back to life. Yes. Okay. So I'm. I'm asking the question whether all some of the stuff that we've seen might cause some continuity errors in the future because they've just changed the past. I've got if that makes I've sense. I've got one possible one, but that's spoilerific. I won't go there. Yeah, I want, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of well, that one myself. Yeah. That depends. Well, there's a miniature one in the very episode. Rimmer's costumes change. At the start of the episode, yeah. is in the series three and four green, mm. but then once he's been judged, he goes to the red. So, who's to yeah. say that this episode wasn't supposed to come before Hollow Ship and sort of introduce the red costume? Mm. Mm. 
Well, it really depends on how you look at it. Because one, we really haven't proven that mm-hmm. um, in the nature versus nurture debate whether uh, the Inquisitor has made any difference in history whatsoever mm-hmm. besides just randomly killing people and replacing mm-hmm. them with versions of themselves with slightly larger noses or whatever. <laughs> um Maybe his whole impact on history is minimal, and it's just a psychotic android thing, and he's not particularly effective at whatever his goal is. Um, Two, the version of history that we have been watching up until this point. It depends on whether history changes or whether it already had happened by the time that we see it. Whether, basically, it's a matter of perspective. Whether we were seeing the timeline as it was ultimately altered, or if we were seeing the before it was altered into being what it was. If that makes any sense. Timey-wimey, (laughs) wibbly-wobbly? It is timey It has been accounted for. for. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. I sort of like the idea that here's an android who who does this, but ultimately doesn't make any any changes. Well, I mean, he certainly didn't make enough changes for Red Dwarf not to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, the, the number of factors leading to that, if you go, you know, back to the butterfly effect, I mean, if he has been changing history all of this time, then... And so little has happened besides a slightly different looking guy was Lister. Talking of, mm-hmm. sorry, I don't know. I mean, maybe he's sorry. Yeah. Uh, talking of destroying Red Dwarf, and yeah. please, Sam, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe this was okay. the first episode shot with the new Red Dwarf model. Uh, quite possibly the worst shots of it in yeah. Hollow Ship. But mm. this series is the mm. first one to actually feature the second Red Dwarf model because the first one fell off a shelf. It was kept on the top shelf in the BBC and it mm. fell off sometime after season four. <laughs> so it smashed into a million pieces. I'm sorry. That is awesome. <laughs> I love how TV is run at the BBC now. <laughs> oh man, we broke the ship. We got to build another one. <laughs> Apparently, one of the work experience people were told to clean it up. <laughs> oh my! Talk about mm. smeg ups. <laughs> there are some fantastic model smeg ups. I don't think that one was filmed. No. I love their model work altogether, but yeah, that's that's amazing. They broke the ship. Yep. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. My notes actually taper okay. off at this point because it becomes a bit more of an action movie. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, the the interesting parts were the trial itself, and then after that, and the chases and the pew pew and blam blams are a little less interesting. Um, I did like, though, the the resolution that... Um, well, Angela, you, you pointed out. You, you seem to find some meaning in yeah. it. Yeah. So why don't you talk about that? Well, uh, I mean, you know, as he said, he was a little disappointed with how it sort of becomes an action mm-hmm. movie. Like, they're running away from the robot. They beat the mm-hmm. robot. They 
turn the robot's weapon on mm-hmm. itself and it, it all goes away. But I sort of saw it as that both Lister and Crichton are forced to do the things that they found fault in themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, Lister was forced to use his brain. Crichton was forced to break his programming. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's especially, like, even even Lister is not only doing the really cool thing where he's forcing the Inquisitor to keep him in existence in order to keep his own existence, but that's even a blind. Like, he's doing a double and triple blind there. Yeah, and then Crichton, of course, having to acknowledge that, yes, he wants to keep his own existence. He wants to um, save himself and not just save other people. Mm-hmm. And even during that conversation, and again, that still got me thinking as to whether Crichton could be or could have been uh, the Inquisitors when he was talking about uh, death holds no fear for me. I believe in Silicon Heaven, and his leg is shaking. Hmm. His leg goes ballistic um, at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His entire body does. Which, I mean, he said that that's part of what caused the Inquisitor's break, is that his his decision that there was no afterlife or, or uh, creator or whatever. Um, so Crichton is going through part of the same process that created the Inquisitor. Mm-hmm. Luckily, Asimov pops up and says... <laughs> anyway, but yeah, the, so yeah, the episode sort of ends... For, I was a little let down by the end myself. I mean, it was cool, and, and um, I really liked Lister's acting there with his dramatic cigarette smoking and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, it was, it was a cool scene and everything, but I felt like they had, had opened up the door to some really cool theological and existential questions, and then it was like, and now a chase scene and some gunfighting. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> but, you know. Just just a quickie, another one. Um, if it, if um, When the Inquisitor is destroyed and everyone goes back to normal, why, how does this to still have the hand? <laughs> uh, it, it was accounted for. It was okay. I think well, in time slides, it took a little bit of time for the timeline to catch up with itself. Yeah. So I think it can be assumed that shortly after that, the hand just disappeared. And that's got to be the um, hand jokes that are um, referring back to oh, the second episode, the one that I really liked. What was it called? Better than no. Better than life. No, no. Shane, what oh, did you say? Oh, the second episode of the first. Second episode of the first. Future yeah. Echoes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the arm joke. Because he's going to lose his arm at some point, Lister. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah yeah. So all the hands I thought were a reference to that arm joke. Maybe so. I don't quite understand... I guess they were playing it up for comedy, but the whole gross-out factor of using the android's hand... That wasn't the, the android's hand, hand, baby. Hand. Yeah. 
Oh, I thought that he had picked it no. up. Okay, I thought it was. I thought that it was Crichton that got blown up there. No, no it was both of them. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I, I thought it was a, a dead Crichton hand he was using. I didn't realize it was a Lister Beta hand. It was a Lister Beta hand. Yeah, I'm sorry. His his sperm in law. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. It's like, where have you put it? It's in your jacket, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if that's a quote. It with but... the Inquisitor glove, which actually holds his own hand in it as well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that sort of gets us to the end of the episode, doesn't it? I believe Any so. Any other uh, comments before we move on to some feedback? Uh, well, why don't we just touch on the fact that entire well that almost that entire last scene was actually reshot hmm. Tell us uh, about the, it. there's a deleted scene because the original sh- um, shot uh, I've got actually got up my notes and I just came to Canton to find it actually I haven't actually got that written down you can cut all this a bit out in a second I can't oh no we're leaving it all in no, no, we don't are. you dare. <laughs> no pressure, you know. Hey, here we go. Got it right in front of me. The end sequence where Lister confronts the Inquisitor after saving his life originally saw the Inquisitor lift his mask to reveal actor Jack Dockett's face. Hmm. It is really bizarre. Mm. And it was made up quite pale. Mm. Had lines painted on. The very broad accents. <laughs> mm. Just once, let me see you with my own eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the actor is Scottish. Oh, as is David Prowse, so there you go. Mm. Yep. Is he? Is David Prowse Scottish? I don't know. No, I don't think he is, is he? No idea. I don't know. I don't know. Nope, he's English. I'm sorry. He's from Bristol. <laughs> yeah. Which is, again, just down the road from me. About 30 miles to the south this time. Cool. Well, isn't everything um, in England about 30 miles from each other? <laughs> <laughs> no. Not quite. <laughs> it's like in uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Well, isn't this place a geographical oddity? It's two weeks from everywhere. Um. <laughs> and, of course, the Mississippi in. Um, oh brother, where are there is a geographical oddity because, oh, yeah. like, they play around with geography everywhere. <laughs> is this the road to Itabina? Not if we're in Tishomingo. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does take me ten hours to get to Scotland from where I am. Ah, <laughs> cool. Well, it takes us four and a half hours to get hours. to the next state. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I sort of wanted. I sort of wanted the Inquisitor to acknowledge what Angela had been talking about. Yeah. Once it saw Crichton trying to defend his own life and Lister uh, using his his brain and creativity and skills to try, try to fight him off, I wanted the Inquisitor to acknowledge that, you know, okay, now you have proven yourself worthy of existence. I'm going to give you this chance again. Don't waste it. Mm. Uh, and reinstate them. I kind of wanted some acknowledgement there of, of what was going on, that the characters had been forced to change in response to this judgment. But, you know, it's... 
I guess cool tricking him and having him delete himself from history too. But or it would have been really great if he had done that and then like pressed the glove just to teleport away, but they had already uh, booby trapped it. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, he was a really nice guy. Feels sort of bad that we did that to him. Okay. <laughs> we don't know that the Inquisitor was able to reinstate timelines that it had already deleted, though. No, we don't. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. <laughs> but he could have right. for the purposes um, of the episode. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> So, that is our take on the episode, I suppose. So, let's go and do some feedback of feedbackiness. Who's the Sam who wrote in first? (laughs) I've got no idea, but I hear he's quite a handsome fellow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I bumped your... Bumped your pinned post and now I can't find it. Here we go. Well, here, I'm going to read this Sam fellow. Yeah. Sam says... uh, my soul red dwarf t-shirt has I'm going to stop trying to do an accent um you have been judged unworthy on the back of it it's a fun episode and the Trojans exchange was pretty funny the question is though with the Inquisitor gone how has it affected the red dwarf universe since his deletions were all undone I don't know Sam that's a fine question also Gandalf we have to get the ring to Mordor (laughs) I'll take off right now. <laughs> Got to get some more, more on Mr. Frodo. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> Don't you leave Do you him, Samwise Gamgee. Fat Hobbit is always so polite. <laughs> All right, and here, Ewan uh, put a comment here, but it got deleted, and we'll never ever get to hear what Aww. he wrote. Oh, well. no. Poor Ewan, he, we had such fun with that episode, yeah. he was such a nice guest, and then it just got it got what? deleted by the Inquisitor. I'll read Ewan's. Okay. A great episode. The Inquisitor is my favorite Red Dwarf bad guy. I think Crichton really shines in the episode as well. Crichton trying to remember... Uh, what he has to say to the Inquisitor was a nice in-joke slash reverence to what Robert Llewellyn does when learning lines. Thank you, Ewan. Are we- Jonathan, I think, agrees with me. He says, amazing episode. The main judgment scene is the standout. If not for Robert playing Crichton's main speech so excellently, then for his rhyming couplet at the end. <laughs> yeah, I really, really dug the judgment scene, and especially Crichton's. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like That was like high-level hardcore 1960s sci-fi novel stuff there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah Robert Silverberg this stuff up. This is cool. <laughs> um, but, yeah. The cat swan we haven't really touched on, but I'm pretty sure that's going to come up in quotes. Mm. There yeah. you go. Definitely. <laughs> uh, Jonathan says, amazing episode. The main judgment scene is that. these... Oh, I'm... It's Groundhog Day! Don't <laughs> <laughs> oh, forget your booties, because it's cold it's, uh... out there today. Well, here, Russ says, I really like the episode, but I can't think of anything specific to say. Sorry. <laughs> 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 <There we go. laughs> 
Russ, you have to justify your existence for that pose. <laughs> justify yourself. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Shall I read Darren's then? Do it. Please. Okay. Jack Abrams does a rather good job as the alternative lister. Jack Doherty, as the Inquisitor, puts on an excellent monster voice, especially considering how in real life he has a rather soft voice with a mild Lowland Scots accent. The episode confuses the Aeneid, which is actually, which is actually ties the history of Rome to the Trojan War, not even remotely about Agamemnon pursuing Paris and Helen. Indeed, they are barely mentioned. The Lyrid is the Virgil book which translates Homer into Latin and recounts the reasons for the war. Very enjoyable if one does not think about it too much. Among the most sci-fi episodes of Red Dwarf. Thank you, Darren. You didn't do an Australian accent. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my Australian accent's not that good. I'm sure it's every bit as good as my, uh, your accent. (laughs) Here, I'll do my Legolas impression. Orcs. <laughs> They're taking the hobbits to Isengard. Isengard. <laughs> um, while we're t- doing impressions, guys, he please do your this this. Oh, no. please, <laughs> please! I'm not going to do. Go on, go on, come on. It's it's so sad. Anyway, uh, let's see. I've got, I have Nutty wanting me to try and do an impression of Worf on TNG. <laughs> I saw that. I know the how high my voice gravelly is. voice ever. <laughs> You 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 hear how high I speak? I, I wish that I had the range to do a Michael Dorn, man. You'd, you'd be surprised at how low voices can go. This is my normal speaking voice, but I can go as low as this, so it is possible. It's it's just whereabouts from the throat and the chest the voice comes from. <laughs> Would you like yes, a cup I of tea? <laughs> Would you like a cup of tea? <laughs> how about oh, a my. <laughs> Captain. Okay. Uh, well, so that's feedback. That Thank you feedback. for feedback, anyone uh, and everyone. Uh, was there anything in the spoilers group, Shane? Uh, not the. Nope. Awesome. Well, that means it's time for our weekly advertisement. Let's reach into the jar of advertisements and see what we pull. Ah, it's this one. On the Dexter cast. We do a rewatch of the Showtime series Dexter. There are four hosts. Two of us, Bob and Rachel, have seen Dexter before. The other two, Thena and Janice, are watching for the first time. This format is called an intro cast. So join us on the Dexter cast as we follow the adventures of America's favorite serial killer, Dexter Morgan. And we're back, and it is time to pass our judgment on this episode, like an Inquisitor should. <laughs> um, Sam, you are our guest, so, and, you know, you also bear the One Ring, so why don't you <laughs> go first? I, I enjoyed this episode. It's it's quite a strong one, and it's up there with some of the other episodes still to come in the series. Um, so I'm going to have to give it 8 out of 10 high 15s. <laughs> I was actually thinking about that one. <laughs> Stole nice. it like the ring. <laughs> <laughs> it was a birthday present. What are you talking about? <laughs> Somebody else go. 
Okay, I'll go next before somebody steals mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, really, really great episode. Very, very sci-fi. In contrast to the very, very to the character development we had very in the very, very start of the series, back in season one, season two. So I'm going to have to give it seven and a half ings. Ings. <laughs> Do you mean Enix? Enix, that's the one. Yeah. Or Ohms. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I liked this episode quite a lot. Um, I thought it was a little uneven. Like, I was more excited by the middle parts than I was by the ending. Not that the ending was bad, it just wasn't quite what I was hoping for after such, you know, the nice high-level sci-fi discourse that they were getting into there. Um... Still, very satisfying, very thought-provoking. I'm going to give it 7.75 Trojan Pig Dogs. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I really like this episode. Um, I I still, you know, like the beginning part better than the end part, but I'm able to account for the ending part a little bit better. Um... But yeah, yeah, it was really good. Um, so I give this episode, um, eh, why not? I give this episode nine out of ten. Um, uh, double caffeinated quadruple sugared coffees. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So a fairly high rating all around. Mm-hmm. And now it is time for quotes. Uh, Sam, you want to lay one on us first? I don't know whether to go for the one which everyone's dying to give or not. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. I have given pleasure to the world because I have such a beautiful ass. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, hearing your American accent, I feel better about doing my British accent. (laughs) Not my impression of cats, actually. Um, Indeed. Okay, I've got to do this one. Um, I don't know, though. This wooden horse of Troy malarkey, I'm not buying that. It's one of the most famous military maneuvers in history. I mean, the Greeks have been camped outside Troy, kerpowing, zapping, and kersplatting the Trojans for the best part of a decade, yeah? So... So all of a sudden they wake up one morning and the Greeks have gone. And outside the city walls they've left this gift, this tribute to their valiant foes. A huge horse just large enough to happily contain 500 Greeks in full battle dress and still leave adequate room for toilet facilities. Are you telling me that not one Trojan goes, hang on a minute, what's a bit of a funny prezi? What's wrong with a couple of pairs of socks and some aftershave? No, they don't. They just wheel it in and all decide to go for an early night. People that stupid deserve to be kerpowed, zapped, and kersplatted in their beds. You know what the big joke is? From this particular phrase in history, we derive the phrase, beware of Greeks bearing gifts. When it should be, uh, it would be more logical to derive the phrase, beware of Trojans. They're complete smegheads. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, let's see. Revisionist history is the best. <laughs> this is the... See, mine is... Uh, this is the Inquisitor. He prunes away the Westrals, expunges the wretched, and deletes the worthless. We're in big trouble. 
Now, what is in that corner? It's the Archangel Gabriel. Well, that's me converted. I'm a new man. Hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) Sam, did you want to do uh, the... Fiona Barrington. Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. Fiona Barrington, 15 years old. You got off with you in your dad's greenhouse, but you thought you got lucky, but it turned out all the time you had your hand in warm compost. Oh... <laughs> okay, here here's my second favorite. No, being a totally worthless unwashed space bum. That's what makes you prunable. Yay, Holly. <laughs> Yay, Holly right. indeed. Other little favorite bit. <laughs> sir, 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 you don't have to be a great philanthropist or missionary worker. You just have to seize the gift of life. Oh god. Make a contribution. Oh god. No matter how small. Oh god. <laughs> You just oh simply have to lead a life that wasn't totally egocentric, vain and self-serving. You're doing this on purpose, aren't you? I'm just trying to make you feel better, sir. Well, shut up then! (laughs) 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 I will go ahead and read part of this exchange, because it was my favourite. But I am programmed to live unselfishly, and therefore... Any good works I do come not out of fine motives, but as a result of a series of binary commands I am compelled to obey. Well then, how can any mechanical justify himself? Perhaps only if he attempted to break his programming and conduct his life according to a set of values he arrived at independently. Your argument invites deletion. The rules are yours, not mine. I loved that bit. Mm Mm-hmm. It felt like like Spock talking to Trelane or, yeah. or Picard dueling with Q. It it felt like I can anyway. finish that off for you if you want. I've got the entire thing written down. Oh, I have it all written down. Oh, I, I just see. didn't want to go too horribly. Oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> Unlike Angela, God. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Excuse me. Could I distract you for a brief second? <laughs> and he did. <laughs> that was nice. Mm-hmm. See, I can do short quotes. Some might say I'm a pretty shallow guy, but a shallow guy with a great ass. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I had to look up who AJP Taylor was when when Lister went on his revisionist history rant about stupid Trojans. Then uh, Rimmer said, "Well, thank you, AJP Taylor," and he's like a popular historian in the twentieth century who did mm. television programs. Oh, I think I know who you mean. Mm-hmm. I've never seen him. I just. You know, looked him up. Uh, let's see. Oh, there was... I didn't write it all down, but there was the nice speech that ended with all the charm, grace, and wit of a pubic louse. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, the one that um, You're Sam a moralist, horrible scum bucket with all the charm, wit, and grace of the social laugh of a pubic louse or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have as much interest in saving my own life as a chronically depressed lemming. Aww. 
Okay, are we about out of quotes? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've so. said all of mine, including the deleted <laughs> well, one. Cool. Well, if uh, those are our quotes, that's what we thought about this episode. If you want to quote yourself and talking about your feelings, you may email us at thereddwarfpodcast at gmail.com. In fact, right now, we're still trying to fill in the missing bits from the last episode with the most ridiculous comments that you can think of. (laughs) So record yourself and send them in. I hope to have a nice mix and just have, like, random comments uh, spliced into this episode to make it just a comedy gold. We'll, we'll, we'll turn, you know, life gives you lemons and you uh, throw lemons back at it and hopefully hit something vital. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yes, you can email us. You can hang out with us on the Facebook group, which is uh, the Red Dwarf Introcast, because it's a cool Facebook group. Uh, if you want to talk about the spoilery stuff that Angela and I can't get into, there's the Red Dwarf Introcast spoilers group. Um, if you want to Twitter at us, you can do that at... Uh, Twitter.com slash Red Dwarf Intro. And in any case, uh, if you're going to contact us, be sure and justify your existence. Otherwise, we will have to delete you. We will. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sam, thank you for hanging out with us. It's been fun. It's been an absolute pleasure. And hope you will uh, maybe come back for a future episode. Oh, with any luck, uh, I've, I've, I'm, I'm down on the list. Yay! And I think we are ready to go. Uh, Shane, what is our homework for next week? Terraform. Terraform? Terraform. That is spelled T-E-R-R-O-R-F-O-R-M. Ooh. Terraform. Exactly. I think we're going to get the polymorph's cousin. Quite possibly. (laughs) So, yeah. Like, to terraform, though, is to make a planet habitable for living... So it's a play on that with terror form. So it's going to be, they're going to find a planet that has been made as horrifically inhospitable and, um, uh, like, horrendous and life-threatening as possible. It's going to be like a horror movie <laughs> planet, is my guess. Why they're going to go and hang out there, I don't know. It makes no sense. <laughs> Maybe they'll have to find a Viridium Sphere or something, but, you know... There you go. Or maybe there's a chick there. Because, you know, they will do anything to get with a chick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or a, uh, you know, horrible mut- mutated alien thing that shapeshifts that might possibly be a chick in a co- sealed containment unit. Yep. So that's our guesses. Find out uh, next week who is right and who is dead. <laughs> um <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.